Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Friday, October 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Tom Blue Wolf of Earthkeepers. Before we get into things, here's a quick note from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Today on TPT, we are joined by the founder of Earthkeepers, Tom Blue Wolf. Earthkeepers is a nonprofit that promotes honoring tradition, preserving the earth, and fostering global peace. Their mission is to empower individuals to take daily environmental action through education on sustainable lifestyle choices and reconnection to the natural world in order to promote a healthy relationship between humanity and the planet. Tom, welcome to the planet today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, of course. And we are honored to get to talk to you. And, you know, I guess we'll start this at the start of your story. What first got you interested in environmentalism? Well, you know, it's, I was born uh, on the reservation in lower Alabama, the Porch Creek, long, long time ago. And so uh, the environment was, you know, foremost. Always, it was always about you know, the water and uh, told at an early age that we owe our entire existence to six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. So it's been a kind of a way of life just by default. And it wasn't like we sought out environmentalism. We were environmentalism. It's always so funny whenever I ask that question to our guests, because I feel like half of them will say, you know, I was born into it. My family, my people, we've always just been environmental stewards who care for this. So it was never really a conscious decision. And then the other half are saying, you know, it was very much in spite of the place that I grew up in. You know, they needed someone to step up and I just kind of lucked into that role. So, Well, you know, they tell stories around campfires back in the day and they would talk about how our ancestors were shepherds and stewards and caregivers and how we had this theory of seven generations, you know, if things last for seven generations, then it was okay. If they don't last seven generations, they're not okay. (laughs) And, uh, you know, these kinds of stories about the fact that, uh, you know, so many of our ancestors, you know, survived the incredible genocide that's been going on on this planet. So you and I can sit here talking like this because we're testimonials to a successful lineage that somehow avoided that genocide. And so we kind of feel like we were chosen in some strange way. And since that is, then it's going to be us 
the ancestors of the future that leave the legacy that's going to determine how our children and our grandchildren interact and become intimate with the environment itself. And it's fundamental. If we don't do that, the alternatives are unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's so interesting when you think about the legacy that we're leaving behind, right? Because like you had just said, there's we are going to eventually be people's ancestors. And yeah. I think I find it easier to sleep at night knowing that I'm doing my best. And I know that, you know, one person can't make a difference in saving the entire global ecosystem. But if everyone treats this as I need to leave behind something for those coming after me, whether it's, you know, my future children's future grandchildren, or if it's just people I don't know in a different part of the world, we all kind of need to step up and, and do our part. That's right. You know, and so I just got back from uh, Germany yesterday and I was over there doing ceremonies and rituals with some of the folks. And it was a very similar conversation. You know, they they long for this kinship. They long for these for these times when uh, folks used to just be kind to one another, you know, and share and the main things were respect and dignity. You know, everybody gave each other respect and it brought dignity to the situation. And that seemed to satisfy some soul level. When people stopped respecting each other, you know, things went south pretty fast. And, and so they still kind of carry on that tradition in some of these villages in the Czech Republic and in Germany and Northern Italy, where I was, you know, they. They wave it at you. They, hey, how you doing? You know, they don't meet a stranger. Everybody is a brand new friend, you know, and I'm mm. thinking, oh, man. a community of people who all feel like they have their needs met and everybody loves each other. I said, it can happen. I've yeah. seen it. It don't happen enough, especially in large cities, but it could if we could alter the narrative, because I really believe language is the fabric of the culture. You want to change the future, you got to change the things you talk about. Mm. I was mentioning earlier, there was a man once upon a time, he's passed on, but he was called Visima Zulu, Credo Mutua, and he was the high priest of the Zulu nation. And he had his tribe, his nation. Every day they would have something they called an indaba, a meaningful conversation about what really matters. And it kept the frequency really high in the communities for people to realize each other and respect each other, know that each other is participating and contributing and beneficial to what's going on. What a beautiful thing. I always felt like I was in heaven on <laughs> earth. <laughs> oh, I bet. 10,000-year-old village. They had no electricity. They had no cars. They had no machines. Everything was done by hand, and they were by, they danced all day. They were so happy, you know, about being alive on earth at this right time. And nobody was depressed. Nobody was arguing, you know. 10,000 years in the same spot by Lake Fonduzzi. Yeah. You know, that's great. I mean, that's a lot of generations. What, four or 500 years? And we can already see the end of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get forty percent drought, you know. For I mean, what is it? Sixty percent drought right now around the country, around the world. Yeah, we're using up forty percent more resources than we can replace. So, the story is tenuous right now. So, I think if we alter the narrative, you know. So, what if you know they say the world is perfect? There's just a lot of people having a bad conversation, <laughs> you know. 
And so what if I've never heard that, but I love that. <laughs> what if we were, what if we all agreed? What if like you and I are going to, you and I could be easily agreed to this. We're going to raise the level of our personal poetry. So everything we say to each other is a reflection of what we hold dear in our hearts about what it means to be human and how precious it is in this little parentheses of eternity that we are on earth at the same time. Yeah. Doing the same kind of work and trying to make the place a better place for the babies to grow up in. And I'm thinking, how sweet is that? It's it's downright sacred. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you get down to it. When you break it down to that level, it it sounds so simple. It's like, why why are we not doing this already? (laughs) (laughs) I know. What's up with that? I mean, it's it's like a it's kind of like somebody has an agenda. Yeah. And (laughs) Funny thing is, we don't know what we don't know. So here's the way I've been told. I've got these shaman friends down in South America. They tell me we can only see 1% of the electromagnetic spectrum of light. And that 1% is called the optical range. And that gives us three dimensions we can look into, you know, depth, width, and height, and such. Mm-hmm. But there's 99% of the light we can't see. So it almost seems arrogant, you know, that we think we know what's going on. We can't see what eagles keep. We can't see what dogs see. We can't hear. We can't hear what they hear. I mean, our sound is very limited. Our vision is very limited. So I think that was the reason the Great Spirit put us in charge of shepherding, stewarding, and caregiving. We weren't supposed to be making all these powerful decisions that determined life and death for people. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I'll tell you an interesting thing, too. Once upon a time in our village, I thought this was beautiful. The war chief was a pregnant woman because they thought if somebody's going to decide to take a life, who better to make that decision than somebody that's carrying a life? Mm. And so I really enjoy these tribal, you know, native kinds of indigenous perspectives on how to live in harmony, you know, with each other and the planet. Definitely. And I think I think that's a really good segue into talking about you know, your team with Earth Keepers. And I'm curious what led you to founding Earth Keepers and what is it exactly that your team does to promote safeguarding the environment, to promote honoring Mother Earth and and all of those different values that we hold dear? Well, one of the things we noticed early on was the the lack of authentic, meaningful ceremonies and rituals in most people's lives. You know, they have functions that they go to, but there's there's not a lot of, of ceremonies. And so uh, we thought, a ceremony for us is a place where people get together and behave in such a way as they ought to behave all the time. But it seems easier when everybody has their intention set. There's only going to be 10 hours or eight hours. There's going to be a fire and we're going to do these things. And then we say, okay, we're opening the ceremony. And so we behave ceremoniously. And then we close the ceremony and then people resort back to like the original shape. And I say, no, you could take this with you. What if life was sacred? What if everything you did was done in celebration of the fact that you get to walk on earth for a little while? Mm. You know what I mean? And the whole thing should be a ceremony. We should be grateful. They used to call it the attitude of gratitude. Yeah. (laughs) And it's an amazing (laughs) healing process that goes on when that happens. 
And so we noticed that. And so early on, we started making herbal products under the title of Earth Keepers One Tribe Trading Company. And so we've been in Whole Foods now since 2003 with our herbal products. And then when Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods a little while back, he pulled it all out onto Amazon. So <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't even, I got all these orders and I'm thinking, how did they know? And then I realized what happened. They didn't even tell me. <laughs> and so, um, that's one thing. So ceremonies, rituals, uh, we make these herbal products. We have, uh, I'd call it uh, primal education, mm. you know, where people come up here and uh, we teach them how to track and we go out into the forest and find medicine and find food and how to prepare it and that kind of thing, you know, how to make, how to make stuff, how to start fire, you know, which way's north. <laughs> yeah. Get to know me, you know. All those things we take for granted on a day to day. Well, we got a, a little story that I that I try to tell that is indicative of what I'm talking about. And we tell people, say, imagine you're in a room mm. with a woman that you love more than anything. Just you just love her to death. But and she's about to give birth. How do you behave? I'm thinking you walk a little softer. Maybe you talk a little softer. You try to contribute, participate. You want to be beneficial, you know, uh, to the birth. And then we realized that that woman is actually Mother Earth and she's always birth, you know, and so we're literally walking through creation. Mm. So we want to participate and contribute and benefit to this birth that's taking place. Life is a process of creation, six mm. inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains, no water, no life. And so... Um, this is the message, you know, reawaken the heart to the ancient dreams of the rhythms and migrations that were a way of life for all our people when we walked lightly upon the earth. And I really think that altering the narrative, speaking kindly to each other and respecting each other and giving each other dignity, these kinds of things is a narrative that we're contributing, you know, to the ceremonies that we've been doing now for 50, 60 years around the world. And um, I know I've been in several countries in Africa, several countries in South America, several countries in Europe, you know. And um, so the, the process is that herbal products, lots of conversations and endabas, mm -hmm. the, the functioning us, we and our, <laughs> we are all in this together. Well, I heard my, my grandfather was a medicine person and he said uh, one day, he was talking about uh, healing and his friend came in and said, Charlie, I know we know what's going on, but what about all those others? <laughs> and my grandfather said, there are no others on this planet. It's just us. That's a really good way to look at it. And so that's kind of who we are. You know, we're wanting to make friends. <laughs> we want, yeah. We want to have the world come together and just realize that wherever you are and whatever the plants are and whatever your indigenous background is, if everybody goes back far enough, they're all sitting around a fire somewhere. Yeah. You no. Know? And so we all came from a tribe and I think it's in our DNA because we were hunters and gatherers for hundreds of thousands of years. We've only been in this hoarding kind of mentality for a short time. Yeah. Considering how long we've been on earth, you know, and people, people want a group, people flock to, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a tribe of their own. And whether that means, you know, a, an indigenous tribe that is living together or, you know, when people go out and want to go watch their favorite sports team play at a bar, you know, we're, we're all looking for that sense of 
community, that sense of togetherness. Mm-hmm. And That's right. I think focusing that togetherness and that community on something like protecting nature, safeguarding the environment, bolstering our local ecosystem. That's something that everyone benefits from in a way that some people might not think about on a day to day, but they're still benefiting, profiting off of, you know, healthy water nearby pollinators that are able to do their jobs and help crops grow better. You know, all these things that we might not think about on a day to day that are just impacting our lives every single second. Yeah. I like the old Dalai Lama. One time I saw him and he said, you should help everybody. You know, you should be compassionate. He says, and if you can't, at least don't hurt them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of perspectives, but what I have found is no matter what ideological persona perspective people have down in the heart of the matter, it's always better to be kind than it is to be right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a bit about some things that I, I pulled from the Earthkeepers website and specifically on the Our Vision page. So there's three sections I saw, mm-hmm. and if we have time, I'd love to talk about each of them a little bit. So let's start with water. Um, that's the first one you have listed, and also something that it's the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. It is extremely hot, extremely dry in a lot of places in the U.S. So I'm curious why water scarcity, water overuse, and water insecurity are such major problems today. And how do you see us as a society going about having a healthier relationship with water? That's a good question. You know, we know that life is about 80% water. And so, uh, well, here's the thing that we feel is happening. I'll, I'll let you in on this campfire conversation is that, uh, you know, people talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get sick, let's call it autoimmune deficiency. They don't say that you have a temperature change. You know, there's something going on much deeper than that. And so well, since we really know that the earth is alive, it's a living organism. We're just part of this living organism. And humans, our creator told us, our humans were supposed to be the immune system. Each animal and each tree and everything has their own mission about supplying whatever it is they supply to the ecosystem. You know, all the people who contribute and participate in the birth and creation of this planet on a daily basis always happen. And so if we... um believe that we are the immune system and what happens in someone when their cells start attacking each other is if they're foreign they develop an autoimmune deficiency so we believe mother earth right now is in the fourth stage of an autoimmune deficiency Mm. and she's exhibiting symptoms of severe dehydration she has chills she has fever she has eruptions convulsions and seizures she's going through the same symptoms anybody would go through as sick as she is because we're attacking ourselves Mm. we are the system and we're taking people down with us the tree people the water people they don't talk about that they'll say oh there was this thing and 10 people died they don't say we lost 40 acres of this and there's 10,000 trees you know the lights all of these things are life yeah and so they said, well, so what are you going to do? I said, well, what do you do when somebody has the fourth stage? of You can go into remission, but it takes 
considerable effort and it takes intention, it takes love, it takes mercy, it takes forgiveness, it takes nurturing, it takes respect, it takes integrity. Each one of us has to become stronger in our hearts and in our mission to be human, you know, to be compassionate. And the more people that do that, the more healing takes place. She gets better by default because she is us. We don't walk through nature. We are nature. What we do to ourselves, we do to her. What we do to her, we do to ourselves. We can't really heal her without healing ourselves first. We are the cellular molecular structure of the decision makers who decide whether she's going to have a good day or not. You know what I'm saying? We spray all this roundup and we nine thousand yeah. drills pulling all the fluids out of her body. She's surrounded by twenty five thousand satellites. She looks like a dialysis machine from outer space. You know what I mean? Is she we're injecting fracking? We do all these things into her. We're taking all the stuff out of her. I can't imagine how she's lived this long and continues to give us food and continues to give us this beautiful days with flowers and honeybees and honeybirds. Yeah. The way we treat her. But if you look at it from a global scale, this is what indigenous people around the world, this is what we're saying. You want to get better? We have, Each one of us is going to have to just work on ourselves. There's 8 billion of us, and we got we got to stop doing these things that just don't add up. I mean, like uh, telling people not to eat meat. Okay, that's that's a really challenging thing. But what if you said, okay, beef is complacent. Cows are complacent. Do you really want to consume complacency? Especially when that cow feeds 30 people and the food that cow eats could feed 300 people, yeah. and it takes enough water to float a battleship to raise one cow, and we kill 150,000 cows a month. I mean, so it's like the math is just not there. Yeah. But if we actually looked into these things and were more concerned about our children and our grandchildren and more concerned about saving our planet and healing than we were our palate or whatever it is, you know, now we've got a chance. But it's going to take a concerted effort. We're all going to have to be... You know, once upon a time, if you were called a warrior, it didn't mean you were a good fighter. It meant that you were a good protector, protector of life. Mm. And so that's what we need right now, like these samurai indigenous warrior spirits, <laughs> like Crazy Horse talked about. You remember Crazy Horse, you know, that's what he talked about. We're all going to come. That's the only thing that can happen is we all have to come together and we decide, you know, we're all living on the same rock following a dwarf star through interstellar space at 68,000 miles an hour. And nobody knows where we're going. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> Sing and dance. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the thing for me is it, enjoying the ride is also making sure that everyone around me can enjoy it to their fullest as well. So mm -hmm. I think something that you had mentioned is to work on the earth, we need to work on ourselves. And I think in doing that, we all have a sphere of influence, whether that's large or small. And I think being able to influence your circle and say, hey, my friends, my family, whoever it is that you have this influence with, maybe we should eat less meat, whether that's entirely or cutting out beef or meatless Monday or whatever it is you want to do at whatever scale you want to do it, we can all get a little better. And if everyone gets a little better, all of those people have their own spheres and it just, it spreads. So. Yeah. yeah. Takes that leaky faucet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pete <laughs> Seeger used to say, recycle, reuse, and reduce. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is something that we just kind of alluded to quite a bit, but 
in talking about climate change and talking about the sickness that Earth is is undergoing right now, how do you see humans adapting to life in a future that's already being so heavily impacted by our reliance on fossil fuels? Well, I don't think we had a future. Yeah. If if we continue on, I mean, we we can see the end of water if we continue down the road we're going. The, the, The metaphor this old fellow said the other day, he said it was like there's this great big car headed for a brick wall and we're all arguing over where we're going to sit. Yep. That's unfortunately very accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but if we say, okay, now, wait a minute, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. It's unfortunate that most people have to be up to their butt and alligators before they actually try to do something. And we keep telling them, here they come, they're coming and they don't believe it. You know what I mean? Then they think they're really good because they're able to somehow salvage something from the, from the chaos. But if we actually wanted to prepare, we know what's coming and we need to prepare. We need to prepare. And so that's um, that's what we need. So you want to prepare, then we go right back to the original form. You know, we need to alter the conversation. What do we find important? Who are we as a species? You know, they could say mm-hmm. we're human beings. Well, what does that mean? Well, our people say if you feel pain, you're alive. But if you feel other people's pain, you're human. Mm. So that's we need to become these kinds of people where we don't think about ourselves so much. We think about us. We think about our planet. We think about who we are as a race, as a species. Once upon a time, we didn't see people as color. We saw white people were in charge of the, the fire. And the black people were in charge of the earth and the yellow people were in charge of the air and the red people were in charge of the water. And so everybody had respect because we need all those things. And so everybody's caricature was placed on that. It wasn't about race. It was about protecting the water, protecting the fire, protecting the earth, protecting the air. And so if there was some, you know, we all agree on money. Money's not real, but we all agree on it. You know what I mean? We think yeah. something. We went through that pandemic and the world prospered based on people's fear. So I thought, what if we could do something similar to that, but do it because of love, mm. not because of fear? <laughs> you know, like take two days out every week and just stay indoors and let everybody have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Because we're not out there messing it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I know that um, travel emissions dropped off so much. And we saw, oh, it was amazing. you know, just, there was porpoises in the canals in Italy, you know, elephants were playing on the beach in Africa. Yeah, and you could see for miles in certain cities where you couldn't normally see, you know, halfway downtown. So, so we know it can happen. So yeah. It can happen. Yeah. So somehow or another, we have to agree that that was a good thing. And don't do it because we're afraid we're going to die. Do it because we're glad we're going to live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Tom, I have one more question for you, and this is more related to EarthKeeper specifically. But what projects maybe or or what is the next short or long term goal for you and your team? Well, I got a couple of things in no particular order of significance. One of them is to expand this educational process where we have a wild food cafe a stomp ground where people can dance in the moonlight. We're next to the wilderness area up here in the Blue Ridge Mountains so people can understand where the food comes from Mm -hmm. and where the medicine is and how that all works. 
And the other thing we're working on, this is I'm excited about too, is a planetarium event where we're going to take this show on the road, so to speak, where we go into a planetarium, turn the camera back 10,000 years, and then every 30 minutes travel 2,500 years through time with stories from elders who are going to be on scene with music in the background so we can kind of see what it was our ancestors saw. Because over 10,000 years, you go through four different North Stars Mm -hmm. and the constellations don't even look the same. You don't notice it if you're only here 80 or 100 years. But in 10,000 years, you can actually get a real mental image, a feeling of moving through space. You know, 10,000 years of motion, especially traveling 68,000 miles an hour for, yeah. for 10,000 years. We go millions and millions and millions and millions of miles. And so now we've got ultraviolet because of the Webb telescope, you know, up there. It's got the ultraviolet filter. The other one, the Hubble didn't have. So we're going to insert those web features into the old planetarium camera and uh and we're calling it voices of the ancestors that sounds so fascinating i'm excited about that yeah because i i did it once a long time ago and the and the response was beautiful for people to feel like they had realized who their ancestors were yeah they saw what they were looking at and what they must have felt and the general consensus was, even if it was 10,000 years ago, people craved to be loved and to love somebody. Yeah. It's, nothing really changed <laughs> on that level. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're looking for now too, right? Yeah. 10,000 years later, we're still looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> I love it. But that's exactly how it's supposed to be. See, if we really were doing that, see, then we would be successful. Yeah. Once upon a time, you know, you were successful if you were honest and loving and kind and gentle. Those It didn't matter what you might own or, you know, all these other things. It was what kind of a person you were that made you a success in the community. Yeah, I'm, I'm longing for those days. Well, Tom, first off, I just want to thank you for your time. I think this was a very meaningful conversation for me. And I really appreciate having you on the show today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation and I really enjoyed the way you um, guided us through that. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, if people want to keep up with you, keep up with Earthkeepers, where is the best place for them to do that? Well, earthkeepers.net is our website. And then, um, of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram and all that. You know, so that's Tom Blue Wolf and Blue Wolf is two words. We will uh, we'll link that in the show notes. So if you're listening right now, just swipe up and you can click any of those links to go check out Tom's page and to go check out Earthkeepers. All right. So, Tom, we end every single interview with three hopefully fun, rapid fire questions. You ready? Ready. What is your favorite animal? A wolf. Amazing. Number two, what is something that you do to be more sustainable in your day to day life? Play music. And number three. What is one topic you think my listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today? What it means to love and be loved. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Tom. I I really appreciated your time. I think this was an amazing, amazing conversation and I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Thank you. Me too, man. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TBT. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to Tom for his time today. We'll be back next Friday for another episode, but until then, go check out our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT in the meantime. For the entire Planet Today team, I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday. <laughs>